man. I love hearing that because when you hear that music, it means it's time for another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. Uh, this week, it's the Forums edition. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home game. And if you want to find out more about me, you can go to rec.poker slash crew because it takes a crew. It takes a crew. It takes a village to get something like Rec Poker going. And I am just one of many recreational poker wizards that loves to come and share their time with all of you, Rec Poker Nation. So, wizards, why don't you uh, tell folks a bit about you and where they can find you? I am John Somsky, and I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 everywhere. Oh, and he's Tim Fritz, but for some reason, we're not getting his audio at the moment. But you can find out about him. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can, oh, sir. Perfect. Thank you. I'm Tim Fritz. I'm misclick donkey everywhere. Nice. I still love that that handle, man. I can't believe you got to snag that handle. That's a really good one. I can't believe I came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't either, now that you mention it. <laughs> so uh, it's Monday night, so we're recording an edition of the forums here uh, in the podcast. We're playing in the nightly home game that's free. Just play money for everyone to come and learn along. Um, and one thing we do every week is we take a post from the Rec Poker forums and we talk about it here on the air. Um, and every week I, I put the word out, you know, premium members are welcome to join the panel here if there's a hand that they're interested in talking about or if there's a concept that's been troubling them and they want to uh, get some ideas about. I see Rob's doing really well in the home game right now. I got a good uh, hand going his way. <laughs> um, yeah, he's feeling good. Um, so I want to thank uh, Dave and John who are here in the chat right now as well. And uh, Dave and John, feel free to type in any questions that you have at any time. Um, but mostly I'd like to introduce, uh, Troy Chapman. So listeners to the podcast will know Troy from earlier episodes. Uh, he's done some rec room editions with us. Uh, he's been a consistent poster in the forums and in the strategy sessions, which is impressive because he's calling in all the way from across the world in Australia. Um, so Troy, you are here because your good friend Flinny, uh, posted a hand and he couldn't make it, uh, to the show because of the time difference. So your, your operation Flinny here, is that right? That's right. So uh, Flynn and I are just a part of a small group who play down locally. We play on GG Poker. Um, we play at smaller stakes, say up most of the games, I say up to about a $10 buy-in. And uh, he had a, what we thought was a really interesting hand at a $5.50 final table um, defending in the big blind. So Flynn, he couldn't help, help it. He's working. I'm on holidays. This is calling him direct from the beach. Uh, so, <laughs> yes. Uh, I thought I'd step in and say good day. Nice. And this is a first for the Rec Poker Podcast Forums Edition. We're going to go to a uh, video of our, our member Flynn himself uh, putting up, giving us a little introduction into the hand and what he was thinking about as he came along there. So, um, Troy, feel free to cue that up. Or if you want to provide any context for us, uh, go ahead. Um, I'll, I'll put it up. Just let me share screens and I'll good to go. Yeah, that sounds good. So if you, if you uh, click sharing the screens, I'm, I can't do it yet. Oh, I see. I understand what's going on here. We're hitting our audio cues on every front there. Try that now, Tori, and see if uh, that gives you the ability. Here we go. I'll just, let us do this rock and roll. Yeah, let's do it, baby. Hey guys, Flinny here from the Rectator Forums. Uh, I just believe you're talking about a hand I posted um, on the forums. And I thought I'd give a quick little rundown um, of the hand and sort of what I was thinking um, on the river, um, just as a sort of a bit of an intro to sort of the spot and, um, yeah, sort of a little bit of context for you. So it's the final table of a $5 dollar 
GG, uh, I think it was just the, like the nightly turbo, turbo tournament, so it's quite cheap. Um, get quite a lot of runners, good value, a uh, bit of fun. Now, we play a pop. There's six of us left. We're fourth in chips. We play up against the villain who is third in chips. So I guess that's kind of important just from, from the ICM point of view. Uh, we start the hand with 20... Oh, sorry, he starts the hand with 20 bigs. We have 17. Now, we defend ace-eight suited um, from the big blind. He raises mid-position. Flop is ace, five, five. Uh, he bets one third, we call. The turn is a six. He bets one third again, we call. And I guess the river um, is probably where the biggest decision was. I guess it always it always is, but... um. So essentially there's a, fl there's a flush draw on board on the flop, uh, the flush draw bricks. Um, and we're facing a bit on the river of one third again. So the pot on the river is 14.4 bigs. And he was 4.77, and we have 10, 10 total. So we've got to put the half of our remaining chips in um, if we want to see what he's got. So the way the hand played, I mean, if he's got a bigger ace, we lose. Um, if he's got a five, we lose. If he's got a flush roll, we win. Uh, and we beat random random bluffs. So, yeah, these stakes, it's very unlikely for a three-barrel three, three barrel to be a bluff. Um, so often I call here, and they just show ace-king. And you just cry. Um, but yeah, given the way I played the hand, I kept the pot small, um, kept all these bluffs in to try and pot control as well as pot controlling against big races. Um, so yeah, I guess the river's the biggest biggest decision. I ended up folding. Um, just thought it was unlikely he was going to bluff because um, my hand looks face up. I've either got knaves or I've got trips. So it's unlikely he's going to try and bluff me off those two hands. Um, so I did, I did fold. Um, in hindsight, it's probably a call, but yes, love to hear you guys, hear you guys' views. Let me know. Cheers. Hey guys, Flynn here. From right on. Well, here. Thanks, Troy. And thanks, uh, Flynn, for bringing that in. Um, it's great to have that context for the hand when we're thinking about the action. So Yeah. So the, the forums brought up some really cool concepts. Uh, I talked about blocker bets and everything on the river, which I think we can get there. But um, if you'd like me to play the role of the hero. Yeah. Um, what, so uh, on a late position or mid mid to late position open, we've got ICM pressure. I'm uh, I think the call here is standard. Um, I don't I can't imagine myself raising. I'm definitely not jamming, um, and I'm not I'm not folding a hand as strong as Ace Eight suited. Um, does everyone sort of agree with that? So that right everyone? now we're just talking about pre flop. There's an open from middle position. And yep. uh, are we folding, calling, or raising is the question. It is a hand. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we can fold. Um, what about the rest of the panels? Anybody want to argue for a call or a, or a raise here? Uh, yeah, I think you just call there. I don't think it's in your jam. Like you would jam like some suited wheel aces there maybe. And then like you're obviously like your Broadway aces, but it's just kind of right in the middle. So call a call there is pretty standard. Never folding by any means. And this is the kind of spot that it, you know, the problem with calling here is you're going to get in a lot of positions where you hit your ace and you don't know where you are. And so there is like, that's kind of, this is almost the best case scenario is a, is a spot like this where you hit your ace and you, you're kind of unsure, but it still has, uh, it's just too, too strong a hand to fold. I believe uh, in this case. 
So Old Mate has opened a two and a quarter uh, big blinds pre, so we're flattered. And I, Flynn has decided to check here. I can't imagine leading. Uh, uh, why, don't we tell, why don't we tell the group what the board is? Um, oh, sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, five of diamonds, ace of spades, five of spades. Yeah, so, so ace, five, five. Pretty good. Draw, double pa- a paired board. Good for, uh, good for the um, big blinds defend range, I would suggest. Old mate shouldn't have too many fives in his range, mm-hmm. but he should have aces, and he's potentially got pretty big uh, flush draws. And I'd expect... Uh, this is a board that I'd expect the the original razor to seabed at a pretty high frequency to a small size. So we're probably checking here about 100% of the time, um, especially when we have a hand like this. This feels like exactly the kind of bluff catching line we want to take here, a check call line. Um, so he's bet um, about a third pot. So he's bet 1.73 bigs into the into the pot and I'm pretty I'm again do we raise here I couldn't imagine a raise here because we're still going to get smoked by anything that's a bigger ace um but is is there a is there a case for raising here so the it's a down bet so it's just for our audience so the the bet size is actually even smaller than the open raise which is not uncommon in spots like this so it's a down bet on the flop it's something that he should be doing with a very high, uh, at a very high frequency. So then you have to decide what are the hands that I'd want to be raising with here? And is this one of those hands? Um, to me, it feels like it's actually kind of too good a hand to check raise as a bluff and not good enough a hand to check raise for value. So it feels like in my first pass at it is that it does feel like a check call line. What about you guys? Yeah, I like a check call here. Um, you could raise, like, I, I would feel, there was a diamond, right? Uh, yeah, diamond, spade, spade. Yeah, I would feel better about a raise if there was no diamond, but we still have, like, additional backdoor equity because he's not going to have any fives in this range. He's, unless he specifically has fives and just flopped quads and flopped a stead. Like he might have ace five suited, but final table twenty bigs from middle position. That's kind of hit or miss if he's well, opening and, that or not. And interestingly, because we've got the ace uh, of hearts, the yep. ace of spades is on the board, and the five of diamonds is on the board. So the only combo of ace five suited that he could have would be ace five of clubs, because everything right. else is blocked by the board. So that's that's pretty unlikely. Um, Right, and that would be like the only five that he's gonna have. I mean, he's right. not gonna be opening, you know, five six, five seven, four five. Just not off twenty bigs. At least he theoretically mm, shouldn't be. Good point. Theoretically, yeah. and, and if you were gonna raise here, what would be the purpose of raising? Right. I mean, ace eight isn't a powerful hand on this board. I mean, it's decent. You don't want to fold, but. Um, you're probably not raising and getting called by worse. So basically a raise is turning it into a bluff. And I think the hand has too much equity to turn it into a bluff at this point. Yeah. So we're trying to get the showdown as quickly as possible for the least amount of chips. Is that <laughs> at, at this point? Yeah. Like if you, if you yeah. told me, if you told me that they were not going to deal out any more cards and like, I would say, yes, let's get this baby to showdown right now. And yeah. <laughs> Um, right. And another argument there is, 
like John was kind of just building up John um, by raising you're like, you're going to fold out any hand that you beat, which you don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like you want hands that you beat, like, you know, to still bet. I hear, I hear, I hear Rob Washam talking to me about the uh, play optimal poker book study. We did about a year and a half ago. We are in the middle of our range here. We're in the, we don't have the polarized range where we should be raising. Um, this is the part of our range where we should be calling and not letting our opponent play perfectly. So uh, yep. just like you were saying there, that makes a lot of sense. So as played, Flynn uh, check calls. Uh, the turn is the six of hearts. Um, Flynn has checked and uh, our old mate, the villain, has bet one third pot again. So he's now bet 2.87 bigs. Um and we're now down to uh, around about 13 bigs left behind mm-hmm. before we before we make our decision as to what to do here. So at the moment, we've got the ace with an overcard to the board. Um, it's still a funky spot. Uh, so he's checked and the guy's bet. So we've now faced the second barrel. How much is in the pot? Um. For our call, uh, about 11 bigs, thereabouts, roughly. Okay. So we're we're heading towards a part where we're going to be committing a fair part part of our stack. Yeah, it's tricky when you're starting short like this, right? Um, That that bottom chip. We were like in the chip leader type arrangement. We were sitting pretty at the start of this hand with only five left. Mm Mm-hmm. And the two big stacks have come together like a um, a train wreck. <laughs> so uh, he's check call. Personally, I would have played it the same way. Yeah. What do you th- What do you think, Gang? Yeah, I, I mean, again, like you're you still don't want to raise because I mean, if you're beat, you're beat, but you're getting such a good price at this point. Like, how can you not continue? It just, it to me, it almost, I mean, without like putting an actual hand on top of it, it really like feels like a pair, you know, like some pair that's below an ace, you know, yeah, queens, jacks, even tens, sevens, Mm -hmm. nines, something that's not an ace because an ace there, you know, they probably would have bet bigger to try and incentivize us to just get it in with a weaker ace. It's a tricky spot. Yeah, I think when when we look at the when we look at the solvers, for instance, it's going to tell us that our opponent is going to choose this sizing with a, again a pretty wide range of hands, and that our actual hand is doing pretty well against that range, so we should call. Yep. Um, and I think it's almost like an uncontroversial call in, in that case. If you're saying according to the strategy of the solver, if the other guy is playing GTO, then that's what we should be doing in order to maintain our minimum defense frequency. One, so we got a question from the from the chat here from Dave saying off end comment. I've always heard that a five dollar online tourney tends to play like a much bigger live one, like maybe a hundred dollars. And this is one of the things that I know Troy wanted to talk about today because we need to. We're not playing against GTO computers, so we need to make different assumptions about the ranges that our opponents are going to be playing in these spots. So I think 
so you know what, Troy, we, we do check call. Let's get to the river because I think that's where the really kind of interesting yep. conversation yep. comes in. So let's uh, we'll okay. take us through there with the action and we'll pick I'll this take up. You through the, I'll take you through the river. So at this point, we're site checking. Oh, sorry, site calling. Yep. And then we've got to the river. We've got about 10 bigs behind and uh, Flynn has checked and the villain has bet 4.77 bigs. So half our remaining stack to call him off. So it's, it's a total total has, brick river too. Yeah, two diamonds yep. on the river. Yep. Yep. So uh, um, he hasn't got three four. So there's no straight. So uh, he could have obviously the big pairs that still might be trying to work out where they're at. Uh, the fives has got a smoked anyway, uh, and all the flush drawers have bricked. So um, Flynn. Then I'll, I'll run you through the hand. Flynn has checked. Mid, our villain has bet 4.77 and Flynn has folded and then probably set fire to his laptop. Um, <laughs> now, just to rub salt in it, the villain showed a single nine. Now, did he show and both cards? No did he only showed one card. Okay. Yep. So I then ran that through a whole bunch of analysis trying to work out if he's if he's raised ace nine, he's probably right. figuring that if someone had ace ten or better, he'd be three bet. And so they've got to have worse than he, a, a worse ace than him. So he's just rubbed it. So uh, this is it's a uh, Chris Jones made a comment which I thought was really interesting about making a small blocker bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would like to ask the panel on behalf of Flynn is. Uh, what makes something a good blocker bet opportunity? Mm, that great, the, great question. Um, that was something that Flynn and I couldn't quite get our head around. Okay. But, yeah. I like that. Uh, and Flynn still is looking for donations to get himself a new laptop now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So you can go to rec.poker and uh, tag <laughs> Flynny. Uh, <laughs> go tell them, start the laptop fund, uh, go, go, go get a Kickstarter going. <laughs> that's funny. So, uh, uh, so okay, so there's a couple things I think we should talk about. Um, I want to talk about what makes a good blocker bet. I want to talk about the kind of play that you see at different levels, um, buy-in levels, and um, and then we'll talk about the actual action on the on the river as well. So one thing just before I forget, when uh, we were listening to Flynn at the beginning talking about um, what their opponent could put him on. He said his action was pretty face up and that he, he had to either have an ace or a five and um, that that is what he was thinking when he was putting his opponent's range together. But I think actually Flinney could have two spades here um, or some other hands as well that this player might think they were a targeting either as a bluff or, or with value. So I want Flynn to think about maybe widening his own perceived range for the kinds of hands he could have in this spot. Um, and what that might mean for his opponent's uh, bet. So first of all, why don't we, why don't we talk about this thing that um, Dave put in the chat here? So do you guys have like a general rule for where the play lines up? Cause I know like online, the stakes are much lower than, but the skill levels higher relatively. So do you guys have like a rule for how you decide what level you're playing on when you're playing in different tournaments like this live versus online? I like I I don't think like necessarily like I have a rule like say like a $5 tournament's like the same as like playing a $100 tournament because um 
it just it, it's more money um like when you play live but i will say um i think i could be wrong when i say this person's name but i think it was ryan laplant that put out a post a while ago about um is a three dollar online tournament tougher than um a thousand dollar live buy-in tournament and i think arguments can be made there but i also feel like you're gonna have crushers no matter where you go Mm -hmm. like i i know several people that play micros and low stakes and just crush it and make thousands of dollars each month but i also know people that play hundred dollar tournaments constantly and don't make any money at all because they don't know what they're doing but that's just what they like to play it's just yeah like you just have to know your opponents and kind of their tendencies um and that's kind of where like having huds and stuff like that to grab hand histories on people comes into play but you're you're just you're gonna have good players and you're gonna have bad players no matter the tournament no matter the size um generally like yes you'll see kind of some more people in the lower stuff light their money on fire in a sense but those people they're not at a final table like they're they're usually not at a final table usually you can assume that the decent players make it to the final table i would assume like yeah you can get lucky and make it through but for the most part, you know, the people that light their money on fire, they're going to be gone. <laughs> I feel personally attacked, Tim. I've made several final tables. I'll have, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah as as, Simon, sorry. Sorry, John. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say one of the comments that where it gets a bit interesting on GG poker in particular is it's a non HUD game. So you can't get it's, a uh, well, we, we actually love the software and the games, and we can get onto it down here. Uh, the you, you do get a fairly good pool of punters in the five dollars and below, um, and it's very hard to actually strip them out unless you look up every person on Sharkscope to get a bit of an idea of how regular they are. But um, that's just one thing, it's one of the downsides to not having a HUD, right? Mm. Um, and I tag the hell out of players when I play it as try to as the names keep coming up you're a reg you're a reg and that sort of gear but uh I won't go you through all the funny ones we have for the other tags but uh <laughs> they're there <laughs> uh, yeah so anyway I, I, I take your point um the hubs help but uh, we we have said that a a five or ten dollar tawny personally is at least as hard as a hundred dollar live because there's just as many minefields in a hundred dollar live tournament, you got to you got to dodge them all. Yep. I think what, there's a few things you need to keep in mind. One is um, overhead costs. So because overhead of running an online site is so much lower, they can afford to offer lower buy-ins. You could not go to a casino and play a one dollar or a three dollar tournament. If you did, you'd still have to pay fifteen or twenty dollars rake in order for them to just break even on the tournament. Right. So no one is going to do that. So that's one reason why, you know, your smallest tournaments that you see are like 20, 30, 40, $50 tournaments on uh, it live, whereas you can get the one or $2 tournaments online. So that's one reason why there's the difference. The other reason is, a lot of people are multi-tabling when they're playing online. They're playing two, maybe three tables. So that means they want to 
they're probably lowering their buy-in to be able to do that. Whereas when you're playing live, you're only playing one tournament. Uh, typically, they say in most rooms that have a lot of ranges, the smallest buy-in and the largest buy-in games are the easiest. Mm-hmm. And that's because the people who have money and don't care play the largest buy-ins. The people who aren't very good yet are playing the smallest buy-ins. And the medium buy-in players are people who can actually have earned the, the right to play there. You know, if they didn't care about money, they'd play higher. And if they were better, they'd play higher, you know, or worse, they'd play lower. So it just kind of uh, goes with the times, that type of thing. And I think it makes a difference where you, what site you're on as well. I mean, years ago, I think a Poker Stars $1 game was probably tougher than a $10 tournament on some of the other sites. Um, I don't know if that's true anymore. I haven't played poker stars for a while for real money, at least. (laughs) Uh, So, but I I do think there is definitely a a deflation. The online games tend to be tougher online games. You're not getting the social interaction. So people who are playing there are playing more for the poker. Now, some of them don't care about playing. Well, there's still lots of bad players playing online, but they're interested in playing poker, not interested in going out and hanging out with their buddies. Yeah. And we were talking before we started recording today, we were talking about that just a little bit to get started. And I think it's really important and true that we kind of circle something that John said there um, and, and Tim as well, which is that in every game you play, you're going to find a variety of players. So there's always going to be a mix of players in the games that you play. Some of them are going to be better than you. Some of them are going to be uh, some of them are going to be worse than you. And whether it's online or live or a different format or something like that, all that really matters is that you are making good, accurate assumptions about those people and the ranges that they're going to play, the motivations for why they're playing, why they're taking the actions that they're at, that they're taking, and it can get frustrating for us and. Troy, we've talked about this before. It can get frustrating for us playing in lower buy-in games where players show up with like unpredictable holdings or like they play any two or they take these actions that like don't make sense. They're not good poker decisions. Um, and it feels like frustrating to us because it's unpredictable and like how do they show up with that there and that kind of thing. But it really is, you know, it's kind of, it's an us problem if we're continuing to not make tighter and tighter assumptions about the ranges that they're going to take there. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure if that really answers the question, but um, I, I think John blew it out of the water there with some of the reasons why just logistically speaking, the, the soft, the, the it's, it's interesting. Out. I had a, uh, Flynn and I watched a, a guy that was online, a, a Twitch streamer by the name of all in have, who is a ex Australian. Oh, he's actually, he's Australian. I can't say he's an ex Australian, but he's just living in New Zealand. Um, and he made a comment the other day saying that anything under an $11 buy-in, um, a lot of the things that you do, um, it's, it's just uh, anything under an $11 buy-in is a part. Anything over an $11 buy-in, the poke is different. Mm. And that was just a comment that he made, which sort of supports what John was saying as well. Mm-hmm. Anything under that, you've got the punters. Anything in the middle, people have got it to a level where they're happy to play poker. 
It's just interesting. Yeah. And actually, and I yeah. should amend my comment a little because like, it's true that there always is a mix, but the higher you go, you know, the fewer bad players there are and the lower you go, the fewer good players you are. So there's kind of like a spectrum of that kind of thing when it comes. So that's true. Yep. Sure. Um, all right. So in, in, in most situations, if we were saying like, we're against a thinking player here, someone who's going to uh proceed with our own busted flush draws and stuff like that like we've kind of underrepped our hand a little bit i think as well um or at least we've we've accurately <laughs> we've actually we, we've sort of told them that we're in the middle of our range a bit right um so that makes me feel like this is kind of a value bet with ace nine just looking at it because we haven't told them that we're like desperate to fold here and I don't know. Uh, is this the kind of player that we think is going to be over bluffing here? Because what other hands does they have a nine of hearts in that they take that? Like, there's not a lot of natural bluffs happening there, right? So it could be pocket nines or it could be ace nine. <sighs> I'm not seeing a lot of other ones. Do we think this is a player who's making good decisions or? And sort of to Troy's point, how do you decide? <laughs> right. See, I think after, um, you know, you said that he showed a nine specifically, like I think that goes back to my point where I was kind of feeling like it was a pair the whole way. Um, because he could just be expecting us to jam any and all aces mm -hmm. preflop. And so he doesn't think that we have an ace but that's why he's betting so small in each street is because if he does run into a five, he doesn't want to go broke. And that's where I can see like the smaller bed on the river because like any decent ace there on the river, like they're just going to put us all in and try to get max value from us versus like, you know, like a pair of nines, for instance, they're still like, oh, okay, I could be ahead here. So I'm going to bet four big blinds into this 15 big blind pot and maybe he folds, maybe he calls and I'm beat, but at least I didn't go broke because I just, I, I feel like most aces there, even some worse aces than what we have, they're still going to put us all in or check. They, mm -hmm. they wouldn't necessarily be going for thin value like that. Mm -hmm. And there yeah, are some, it, yeah, take it, John. Well, I was just going to say, if you look at the, the run out, it really didn't change the whole way. Right. So um, either we were ahead the whole way or we were behind the whole way. I would have had a really, and I'm not saying this makes it right, but I would have had a really hard time folding on the river because nothing changed um, unless they just had me beat the whole time. But because when I play the check call game, I tend to get pretty sticky because especially when I'm doing mm -hmm. it with top pair, because I'm underrepresenting my hand, you know, I'm playing, I could have pocket nines or pocket eights and play the same way. A lot of hands that are much worse than my ace high. So I'm kind of setting them up to perhaps overvalue their hand. Um, the bet on the river is a, a pretty decent sized bet. So I understand the hesitancy, but I don't think I could have folded there. Also, when someone hold, uh, 
flips over a inconsequential card like the nine of hearts like there that's meaningless for this board that's just trying to get under your skin so i try to just pretend like i never saw that Um, (laughs) because there's really i mean there's only two hands given that nine there's the only two hands he had that beat you either a nine five which is highly unlikely or a uh ace nine right right anything else you had beat um so i would try to just put that out of your mind because he's trying to goad you at that exact point in time but i think i would have had to call the river but i probably have a tendency to overcall so keep that in mind i think one the one thing that's jumping out to me is that in a spot Mm -hmm. like this where it's a especially when the board comes like ace five five and you're out of position and you're going check bet call check bet call you kind of have to make a decision on the turn i think about what's going to happen on the river like yeah because if you just call the turn this is the situation that's going to happen a lot is you're going to face a river bet and and you're stacked to pot i mean your stack's getting pretty close to a pot size bet at that point so i think when flynn and flynn if you're listening so on the turn when you're facing that bet i think you need to decide right then if i get another bet on the turn on the river about this size am i going to call it or not because they're going to be consistently betting like that a lot and if you're not then maybe just fold the turn honestly um but if you do call the turn i think you owe it to those previous branches of the decision tree uh, to call that river bet um, because you've, you've, that's the way you've kind of like set it up to go. Tim, what does that make you think? Um, I was just going to add that realistically in this spot, I'm either going broke or I am going to win the pot. Like I'm, <laughs> I, I'm the, the more I think about what I would have behind, like I I'm never flatting there. I think with the way the action went, I think I would just jam. And and get because, ready to reload if need be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if I go out, oh well, you know, it was final table. But at that point, like it, I'm calling the river there with the intention of if it's another blank that I'm getting it in. Especially when they do a little bet like that, because the point of that, I believe, any bigger ace than what we have is going to put us all in anyway. And then we have an argument for folding. Right. But before them not putting us all in there, it's like it's either super milky or it's something that's afraid of an ace. Rob? I'm looking at the SPR, you know, on the flop. And typically in that situation, you're just, if you get a hit pair, especially top pair like that, you're just jamming. There's, I mean, what are you waiting for? Why are you playing that hand? Mm. Are you playing that hand so you can get a, a, a you know, a, a nut flush? Is that why you're playing ace eight? I mean, that um, is a nice thing that happens sometimes, but yes, I agree. Well, that can't be yeah, the only reason you're playing. That's it. Yeah. so re- remote. I mean, yeah. even if you hit an eight there, you, you might be looking at a SPR situation that says, Hey, I just need to jam this. Mm. Um, but, uh, so with that SPR though, that's, that's going to be based more on chip EV, though, isn't it? At where we are at the state, we've got 20 bigs. We're one of the big stacks with ICM considerations. 
So I'm it, thinking with that, that case, I completely get that yes, part, but I would be very I, I agree. considerate of that. Yeah. I agree. I agree there that when I'm talking about SPR and jamming, normally ICM considerations are not there, right? If you, if it's just a strictly an SPR situation with no ICM, then yeah, it's an easy jam. Now with ICM, now you have to question your decision pre-flop. Mm. Should you have even been involved in that hand? If you're if you're going to get involved in that hand and then have a flop like Ace Five Five, what what better flop could you ask <laughs> for with the hand that you have? <laughs> yeah. What are you hoping is going to happen? Is yep. my question. You know so. If you're going to get involved in a hand like that, you almost have to jam it on the river or on the flop when you flop an ace. It just, you know, so be it. Otherwise, fold pre-flop and go on to the next hand. Yeah, I also Maybe like the idea. Maybe we're results-oriented here. <laughs> yeah, it is nice that he showed us that Knight of Hearts, right? That does open things up a little. Um, yeah. And and even if even if you decide to to check call the flop, and then get frisky on the turn, you're going to have a pretty shovable stack at that point. And then you get that extra bet. I think, but I think, I think Rob's absolutely correct in that. What flop were you hoping to get? Um, Cause this is a pretty, this is a pretty sweet, this is pretty gin flop for you to be honest, given, given the stack size. So, and, and you also have the, uh, he has the nut advantage, but we have the range advantage. Is that right? Well, we've got more fives than he does, so he's yep. he's he's probably still got range advantage. But yeah, but yeah, we've got nut advantage. He'll have the the equity advantage, but I think we're gonna have more nuts there than what he does. I mean, he's still got all the overpairs. Yeah, but we're gonna have more fives. Yeah, he's yeah. got pocket so, so aces. The, so which one have we got? We've got the nut advantage. He's got the range advantage. Yeah, yeah, and the nut advantage. Okay. It's not gonna be like we have like a massive advantage. We're going to have like a one, maybe 2% advantage. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tiny. And then he's going to have the equity advantage of probably like 10%. Yeah. So it's definitely still a better spot for him. Um, but we do have that kind of scary spike. Um, so I wanted to talk about blocker bets, but I think we should save that for another episode because I want, I also want to do an episode talking about leading on the turn and uh, leading on the river. And I think uh, blocking bets would be a good complement to that. So um, let's save that little notion. But uh, so gang, think about any other points to make on this one. I'm just going to scroll through the uh, forum post itself. So, I mean, everyone, we don't have, we. this is just a, an audio podcast for the most part. We do play it on uh, YouTube. And so if you get a chance, you can go to YouTube and sometimes we share a screen and we show graphs or charts or uh, EV calculations or things like that. And that's very helpful. Um, but really you should just go to rec.poker and uh, sign up in the forum there. And you can see this one got a ton of responses. We've got uh, Chapo, Flinny, uh, Jim, Sir Gas Leak, 7 High 11, 5 by 5 TV Stensby. Um, lots of people contributing their, their thoughts here. And also some people like Tron Vidar, um, uploading uh, an ICM spot that he's broken down. And there's a, some really sweet charts and graphs here that help you understand why certain cards are better than others and how certain runouts are going to work for your favor. And there's some great screenshots from Flynn. It just I just love the way that people can get into the forums here and really uh, share their ideas with everybody else. So go check that out. Um, gang, any other thoughts on the hand here? Or Troy, was there anything else you wanted to address before we... Uh, before we move on, I think as played, 
he's I really like that Flynn is thinking about what are the combos of hands that our opponent has that beat us? What are the combos that they're bluffing with? Um, And he makes some really good points in the forum post about trying to find hands that aren't an ace or a five that take this line. And he doesn't find many of them. Um, but when he got, when he shows that damn nine of hearts, that really does kind of put a kink in that line of thinking, doesn't it? So I think as played, I I'm probably calling, uh, on the river. I don't know if I'm shoving, I'm probably just check calling on the river, but I don't think I'm going to be able to find a fold there, even though I think Flynn makes some really good points about the, uh, hands that the other guy could have. All right. Well, any other thoughts to send us out of here, gang? If not, I will just thank Website Amp and Mark Prashan, um, Evil Roy and John for hanging out in the chat, Flinny for writing in, Troy, John, Rob, and Tim for joining me this week, and you, the listeners. Thank you so much. See you again soon.